I prophesy that today's episode is going to be awesome. I guess you're doing that because we're going to talk about Jesus as prophet. Yeah. <laughs> so that's your immediate segue. No. Okay, let's talk about God. No, asking how your day is when the pun when the pun hits you, you just you let it flow. <sighs> People, you see what I have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> today's so, episode is going to be great. Today's episode is going to be good. As a matter of fact, the next this month and the next two months, we're going to talk about the three offices of Christ that are, are have been recognized throughout the years as Christ as prophet, Christ as priest, and Christ as king. I really think this series is going to profit you well. Oh, no. Just stop. I can see something good coming in your yes, future. That's all just, I'm saying. Just, I know. You just need to stop. I'm sorry, people. I can't do anything with him. He's like an avalanche. Once he starts, you just can't get it. You can't slow him down. But yeah, I don't know why today we're just going right into the puns and skipping the talk. But he, he's right. We're beginning over the next three months. We're going to be talking about the three offices of Christ, Christ as prophet, priest, and king. I just said that. I know. I'm just reiterating it now <laughs> louder and talking faster. It's going to be great, though. Um, uh, th- those three roles have been recognized over uh, the years. The first guy to recognize it was this dude named Eusebius. He was a church historian. I want some mother out there who's expecting with a son, (laughs) I want you to consider naming your son Eusebius. And if you do that, please Please call call us us or let us know somehow so that we can know that you named your child Eusebius. Eusebius. (laughs) He recognized uh, those three distinctions in one of his books, and um, I think it's since the Reformation uh, this has been kind of brought back up and talked about a little bit more. Uh, but I think it's a pretty widely accepted thing in all of Christianity that Jesus has these three roles, prophet, priest, and king. So today we're talking about Jesus as prophet, and Dad can't stop laughing <laughs> at his own joke. <laughs> uh, well, I had this preacher friend years ago that um, he had a friend whose last name was Count, their last name was Count, C-O-U-N-T, and they were, his wife was expecting, the man's wife was expecting, and they were expecting a boy, and my preacher friend tried his best to get him to name that son Noah. <laughs> so be, his name would be Noah, Noah Count. Count. <laughs> He'd be a Noah Count child. <laughs> so anyway. That's funny. <laughs> we need to move on. <laughs> oh, um, man. All right, we're going to try and attempt to get it together here. Coleman, maybe you want to hit the intro music here and we'll attempt to be serious. <laughs> it's going to start playing right now. Anyways, all right, we are here. Let's talk about God, Christ as prophet. We've already said that um, the church has recognized Jesus as functioning in these three roles, prophet, priest, king. So today, what is the 30-second definition of not just a prophet, but a 30-second definition of Christ functioning specifically in the role as a prophet? You want me to go or you want to go? You go. Um, I would say that Christ as prophet, um, he, he functions as a prophet in several ways that we see in the New Testament. He comes proclaiming. He comes teaching. He comes calling Israel back you know, to repentance like we see many prophets of the Old Testament, he literally predicts the future, um, and he ha- 
serves as the role of he sits in in judgment, and we also see um, that he works some crazy, mighty, awesome miracles. So if we just made a little stew of all the Old Testament prophets and just stirred it around, you're stirring. You get Jesus. Our listeners can't see yeah, you. You got actually stirring. you got your wrist. Your fist, fist, and you're stirring the pot, if you can imagine that. If you threw it all together, that's I, what Jesus has I done. I think that's very good, and it's very comprehensive. Uh, I think that I would maybe be a little bit more concise, since we're doing 30-second here, and just add to what you said, which is so good. Um, prophets, a prophet is one who comes with a message from God to the people. Yeah. So I think when you talk about Jesus as a prophet, then he comes as a person with with a message from God to the people. And prophets, uh, in a nutshell, did two things. A prophet foretells, F-O-R-T-H, foretells and foretells. Yeah. So he issues words that foretells messages that the people need to hear now, but he also foretells the future oftentimes with words that are what we would say prophetic words that have that that are yet to be to come to pass mm-hmm. something stated about the future. So I that that's what I would say that in a nutshell it is his role as the revelator. That's good. As the Christ as the prophet Christ mm-hmm. as the revelator as the one revealing God's truth to us. That's good. Well, let's first let's take a look at prophets in the Old Testament so that we get a background of Jesus as a prophet. Because with all these three things, um, in the Old Testament, we see different individuals functioning in the roles of a prophet, you know, a king, or a priest, and Jesus actually functions in all of them. So we want to go back to the Old Testament as our reference point. So what is the role of the prophets in the Old Testament? I think kind of like what you just said, to be the mouthpiece of God in instruction and in morality. Um Moses was considered a prophet. He actually prophesied of a prophet like himself, which we yes. know to be Jesus. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but he was a prophet, and what did he do? He delivered the law. He gave people instruction in morality. He 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 was the mouthpiece of God. We know Aaron would speak for him, but it was God to Moses, Moses to Aaron, Aaron to the people. Was, you know, so he was the prophet, calling people to instruction. To prophets predict the future. I mean, there are literal. Uh, categories of Old Testament literature called the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. And part of what they did in those books is they actually predicted the future. And sadly, most of it was predicting the coming judgment, but some of it was predicting uh, the coming of a new covenant and a new heart and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and all kinds of other really good things. Well, the greatest one of all is the coming of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. You have Micah, prophesying that he would be born in Bethlehem. You have Isaiah prophesying that he would come as a suffering servant and die on the cross. You have David. A lot of people don't think of David as a prophet, but David was a prophet. Psalms, yeah. And and so in the Messianic Psalms, he's prophesying how he would die, that Mm -hmm. none of his bones would be broken, that they would look upon him who was pierced, um, that they would cast lots for his clothing. So much of what David wrote in a song was prophetic. Yeah about Jesus Christ and his coming. Yeah. And then we also see uh, Old Testament prophets judging God's people, and that's oftentimes in predicting um, their judgment and in along with that calling them to repentance. Yes. And so we see 
a lot of the Old Testament literature in the midst of sinful Israel, whether that's uh, pre-exile saying, hey, bad things are going to happen, turn, or maybe it's post-exile and you know Israel is has been destroyed and they're in exile, they're in captivity and God's predicting the future. There's all kinds of different things there, but a lot of times it is um, calling the people out on their sin, on their injustice, and calling them to repent. All right, let's take this a, a step further because we're talking about Jesus as a prophet. The prophets, you're saying it, so in a nutshell, the, a prophet, an Old Testament prophet would come, and oftentimes the prophets would come because Israel was getting into sin and right. moving away from God and turning away from God. So the prophet would be sent by God to do two things. He would speak the truth, and he would say, you're worshiping idols. You have turned from God. You're living in sin. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're breaking the law. Mm-hmm. They would speak what nobody else would say. Sometimes they would say it to a king. Sometimes they would say it to the priest. Sometimes they would say it to the people. So they spoke the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, then they would give a message of repentance, but turn. We want you to turn. If you'll turn, if you'll come back to God, God will forgive you. God will accept you. God will receive you. God will restore you. But if you don't, then there'll be judgment. So then he goes back to truth again. So there's truth, and then I'm going to call it grace, and then back to truth again. But if you don't, then here are the consequences. Yeah. God's going to send this army in, and they're going to defeat you, and your wives are going to be killed, and and your city's torn down, and you're going to go into captivity, whatever. And the Bible, John said in in, in chapter 1, verse 14, um, and we beheld Christ's glory, the glory as of, of, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came as a prophet speaking the truth, but speaking grace. That's good. So he would say, you're a sinner, you're in sin, you need to be saved, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, and I I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I have come to, to give my life a ransom for many, mm-hmm. and the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, and repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he came with grace, but he also said, but if you don't, then everyone who rejects my Father will be go cast to aside or go to yeah. hell or be cast in the fire. And so he spoke the truth, but he spoke grace. So that was his prophetic work. Do you see the similarities? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I think the, and, and what we're going to see here is that in the Old Testament, there has always been an expectancy for a prophet to come. And so Jesus um, obviously perfectly validates his own prophetic ministry but it was long awaited as well. The main place that we see this is Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. Um, Moses basically prophesies that a prophet like him will be raised up and that they need to listen to him. All right, before you get into this, let's, yeah. just, let's just stop and then I want you to keep going. For our listeners, you got to understand, this is Moses predicting the coming of Jesus as the prophet. Yep. So when he says that a prophet like me is coming. He's not talking about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Noah. He is talking about Jesus. Yeah. So this is all the way back in Deuteronomy, hundreds of years before Christ came. He is prophesied. So keep on with that. But this is big. This is huge. This is huge. Fifth book of the Bible. (laughs) Right. Fifth book of the Bible. We're getting a 
a declaration. There's a prophet like me who's yeah. coming, and and we now know with hindsight he's talking about Jesus. Absolutely, because if you look at the rest of Scripture, Moses is held to this extremely high standard by the people of God. He is up there, and the rest of Scripture essentially testifies a prophet like him hasn't come yet. And actually, when we get to Jesus's time, the reason people are able to begin recognizing Jesus as as prophet, as the prophet that Moses prophesied of, is that they didn't really believe that that prophet had come yet. They knew they were still waiting on a prophet that was greater than Moses and that fit the category um, that Moses had predicted. And so they're waiting and they're looking, and now all of a sudden they're seeing Jesus do all of these crazy things. And so they realize, hey, I think this guy actually is the prophet that Jesus or that Moses, that, that Moses yeah, prophesied. prophesied. So, yeah. um, let's let's actually look at that in the New Testament. So, where is Jesus identified as a prophet in the New Testament? Now that we've got that background, after he's multiplied the loaves and the fish for the five thousand in John six fourteen, um, it says, "When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet.'" Who is to come into the world? So see, they're thinking there back to Deuteronomy 18, where where Moses said, "A prophet like the prophet, the prophet. This is not a prophet. The prophet is what they called him." Yeah. And so you're right when he did this, uh, because what did Moses do? Moses didn't do it, but through Moses, manna, manna would fall every morning. Yep. And every evening and whatever, so they would get the manna. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Samaritan woman at the well in John four nine four nineteen. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So there's Jesus. She's not necessarily saying uh, the one that Moses prophesied of, but she recognizes his own prophetic ministry. Right. He's so, working as right. a prophet. Um, Luke 13, 33 says, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that an orphan, or excuse me, that a prophet, autocorrect, got me wrong there, should perish away from Jerusalem. So Jesus himself recognizes, not that he's an orphan, but that he, I don't know how Autocorrect did that, but Jesus himself is recognizing he is a prophet. So we've got a a recognition of Jesus's prophetic ministry from the Jewish people, from a Samaritan woman, and ultimately from the mouth of Jesus himself. Well, there's a couple other that I found as well when Jesus had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, the people said, yeah, this they is did. Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Wow. So again, they recognize it. Yeah. How about this? Even Jesus himself, through an inference, implication, stated that he was a prophet. Mm-hmm. Because um, when Nazareth, he was in Nazareth in the synagogue, remember, he spoke, and they said, who does he think he is? This is Joseph's son. This is the carpenter's mm-hmm. son. His mother, we know his mother, his brothers, his sisters. Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus' response was, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. So there you go. He knows he's a prophet. So he took that verse, but he, yeah. he applied it to himself that I'm a prophet. Absolutely. So it is something that he operates in. The, the, he even said it. Yeah. And so now we we recognize that the people and Jesus himself see him as a prophet and even as the prophet. But what was Jesus's prophetic mission? 
What was he actually doing that was prophetic? Well, first we see Jesus's prophetic teaching and instructing. Um, in Mark chapter one, after teaching on the Sabbath, the people marveled because he taught with authority. Because typically in the day, the scribes, the scripture says he didn't teach as the scribes. What they would do is they get they would get up and um, they would have to reference rabbis and teachers and all these other people. They would kind of reference these different authorities to validate the message that they were saying, their interpretation of scripture. Um, what Jesus is actually doing here is he's getting up there and just teaching with authority. He's not referencing anybody. He doesn't need anybody's help. He's getting up there and teaching. And actually when they get done, they say, what new doctrine is this? Jesus's teaching and interpretation of the scriptures is actually brand new to their ears through this prophetic mission. So he is a he is bringing specifically a word from the Lord because he is the Lord. Exactly. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches with authority again. So watch the the similarity here. What what did Moses do? He received the law on a mountain, delivered it to the people. Well, now you've got the sermon on the mount, and he's not teaching um, even like Moses who had to receive it from God. What's he doing? He's teaching with authority because he consistently says, you have heard it said, but I say. Now you've got to know who you are to walk in there, preach to a bunch of Jewish people and say, I know you've heard it said in the scriptures or from the rabbis or for whatever, but here's what I say. Now that's a big claim. Well, because and that means because he's God. Exactly. See, I want to say this. Um, like other prophets, Jesus was sent by God, but the difference was he was God. <laughs> exactly. So that's the difference. Okay. So he he I like to say it this way: he spoke truth, and he was truth. That's good. So that's the difference. Like you said, where Moses was just reciting or giving, he was the vessel God was giving it to him, and then mm-hmm. he was giving it to the people. But Jesus is is God himself and he's speaking. So when he said, but I said, then he, he has the spirit of prophecy because the, the Holy Spirit, God. yeah, he is one with the, one with the spirit. So that's, that's pretty powerful right there when you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus also functions in that prophetic ministry of what we usually think of, and that is telling the future. Um, he predicts his death like three different times. He knows his mission. He knows what will happen. He knows how it goes down, and he's ready for it. Um, one of the craziest things, though, one of the craziest things is that Jesus actually predicts the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which happens in 70 AD. And everything that he predicted actually came to pass. Right. So, Titus and the Roman army came yeah. there because the Jews rose up in rebellion, and he came in 70 AD and raised the temple to the ground. He did. And then they persecuted, killed so many of the Jews, and uh, I think that's where you had, uh, what's the temple, what's the uh, Masada, is it Masada? I can't remember the I name. I can't remember. Of the, you know, the fortress, mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, you know, they killed themselves and whatnot. So, yeah, he, everything he predicted came to pass. And it's interesting, just just a little fun fact, that they use Jesus' prophecy here to help to assist us in dating the writings of the Gospels, but also through other means, they've validated that the Gospels were not written after this, and then the disciples are trying to, like, fabricate Jesus' prophecy here 
you know, and just even though they knew the temple had been destroyed, there's plenty of evidence showing that the gospels were written before the temple. Jesus is actually prophesying this, and it's and it actually happened validating his prophetic ministry. We have a record of one man predicting this, and it went down. Well, he predicted that someone would betray him in Matthew 26, yep. 21. It ended up being Judas. Uh, he, he predicted that his death would be instigated by the Jewish leaders. That mm-hmm. was in Matthew 16. Yep. And so he knew who would be the cause behind it. Well, sure enough, they were. Um, and like you said, and the fact that he even said that, um, that you know, you said he knew of his death, but he knew it would be crucifixion. He did. So it didn't have to be crucifixion because John was beheaded. Yeah. So somebody says, well, that was the only corporal punishment, so capital punishment rather, so that would have been easy to predict. No, there were other ways you could die. John was beheaded, but Jesus knew his would be crucifixion. Crucifixion was a particularly terrible way to die. Like they had to want you to suffer, not just take you out. Yeah, and then, of course, predicted that he would rise from the dead three days later. Exactly. I mean, who does that? I know. You know, but of course, again, he was God, so. Um, Jesus also functions in that he judges the world. And, and, and we see this in a number of ways. He calls out the Pharisees for their sin and for their hypocrisy. He speaks authoritatively on the issues of hell and judgment. And then we know that he actually, he is the one who will judge. He will sit in the seat of judgment. And so he will um, judge those, you know, at the very end. And so he functions in, in that role of proclaiming judgment, issuing judgment in his prophetic ministry on earth and in eternity. And then finally, um, Jesus went around and did miracles. Well, well let me take you back yeah. on that one. I, I, there's one more there uh, because this is just interesting because you talked about he judged the Pharisees mm-hmm. um, uh, and the scribes. Did you ever stop thinking about how he judged entire cities? You're right. And, and I think this morning in my my personal study time, if I remember, I, I read it there. He said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, it's, wasn't Bethsaida. Wasn't it Capernaum, Tyre, And then he, then he hammered Capernaum, and he yeah. said, if the works that had been done, it, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, or it would be more tolerable for Sodom, for, tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you. Because if the works that had been done in you would have been done in them, they would have repented. But they're done in you, and you're not repenting. So those are those are words of judgment. Yeah. And by the way, I just think is I had an interesting thought this morning that that God judges cities. Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, yeah. Judge Nineveh. Sure he did. judged Tyre and Sidon. He judged Jerusalem. He judged. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were burned with fire. And then he's calling out these cities in in Israel. Uh, It kind of makes you back up a little bit. That's what I did this morning as I was reading doing my Bible study. I thought, wow, you know, we live in Anderson, South Carolina. wonder how God looks at our city, wherever you are. wonder how Mm -hmm. God looks at your city. Um, That he'll, will he not just judge individuals, but judge the city Mm. because... He comes and preachers preach and churches preach and people live and yet if entire cities fight or resist or deny, uh, you think of maybe a city like San Francisco that yeah. just seems to be so, you know, anti a lot of things that are God. Yeah. Uh, you just wonder, is there a judgment 
that'll come. It yeah. was an interesting thought. It's inter- yeah, you're right. It's interesting how like the how each individual you know city or area has its own culture, and sometimes complete godlessness invades that culture, and it becomes why you're there. I always think of like the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah that God is always going to be righteous in His judgment. You know, Abraham kept bringing the number down. Well, Lord, if there's 45 righteous people, are you going to yeah. blow it up? No, I'm not going to blow. Up. What if there's 35? And in reality, it gets down to Ten. essentially, yeah, essentially though, lot. Yeah, it was lot. And then he's like, all right, at this point, let's just get him out of there. Let's make it zero, and I'm going to judge it. Yeah. So God's judgment is always righteous, and even if there's just a little bit there, he will save it. But uh, his judgment is right, even on cities. And it, that should fuel us to make a difference to evangelize to be the light in our city, try and change that culture. Yeah, like we talked in the last episode, to serve your community, ultimately to show them Jesus yeah. so they can be saved. And finally, uh, a part of Jesus' prophetic ministry, uh, I would say, is miracles. Because I think back to like Elijah and Elisha, that their prophetic ministry was marked by the supernatural and supernatural ministry and miracles and incredible things that assisted them in their ministry, in their calling to Israel, to repentance. And that's even why people kind of suggested, like, is he Elijah? Like, who is this guy? You know, who, who do they say that I am? And because Jesus is going around doing these crazy miracles, and it only served to validate his ministry as a prophet. Yeah, because they said, is he Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets? Yep. So even the people saw him as a prophet. Exactly. And not all prophets did miracles. If no. you read the, the prophetic books in the Old Testament, but Moses did. Um, Elijah did, Elisha did, mm-hmm. uh, even though Elisha doesn't have a book, n- n- neither is Elijah. I think it's in Kings, first yeah. second Kings, but they did miracles. Uh, and so it's not, it's not always the case, but you're right. It was, and Jesus performed uh, every kind of miracle. I mean, Elijah raised people from the dead and Jesus of course raised mm-hmm. people from the dead. So absolutely. Um, and even he did unique miracles that set him apart as a greater Prophet, things that Elijah and Elisha didn't do. Yeah, exactly. To set himself over them. All right, so let me ask you a question because I know we talked about this briefly. So, w- talk about this Jesus as the logos. So, what 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 what's that got to do? Even when I was doing my research, this came up. So, mm-hmm. help the listeners. What what is that all about? What do you mean when you're talking about Jesus as the prophet, and then you bring this word logos? Mm, yeah. Well, as we see the opening of John's gospel, he describes Jesus as the Word. So right. as we're re- reading it in English, you know, the Word was with God and the Word was So God. the Greek word for word yeah. <laughs> is logos. Is logos. Okay. Now, so in the beginning was the logos, yes. and the logos was with God, and the logos was God, was the same God. in the beginning with God. Now, okay. just as a general principle, what does a prophet do? He comes with a message, right? He's speaking words. He's delivering a message to God. So the word of the God. word of God. Now, but when we look at this word, so that's kind of our background. There's a lot of cultural weight that comes along with this single word logos right. for the Jew and for the Gentile. And so, what John is doing, and really the Holy Spirit through John is uh, is is taking culture and taking their understanding of it and speaking literally to the whole world. And so, as we think of the word logos. To the Jew, what are, what are they going to think of? There's two things. Um, Jesus as the creative or the life-giving word. So what has God done? He's spoken in Genesis, 
the word, and what happens? Life comes. Things are right. created. Then God said. Then God, God spoke. Said, let there be. Boom, and there was. And so there's this idea of speaking the word of God, speaking the word of the Lord, and things begin to shift. Things begin to change. Life happens. Amazing things happen. And so Jesus has all authority as the word of God, like the actual word of God. He is the image of God, the express image of God, mm-hmm. said in Hebrews. He, His very being, his very life is the message of God. At the same time, he is the life of God, the way, the truth, and the life of God. And so through his very being and through his message, he is communicating the word of God, which is life. But two, there's something interesting is that in the Jewish literature, um, wisdom has often been personified. Now, this is in Proverbs. Yes. I've seen this. So wisdom, when when they're talking about wisdom, it's, I guess, anthropomorphized. Would that, would that be the correct word? Or personified, essentially. I guess. Um, and so they, it acts as if wisdom is a person. And so as John begins speaking of the word as a person, well, what is the Jew going to do? They're going to immediately start thinking of wisdom personified, that he's doing the same thing. So the wisdom of God, the message of God, when the same way Jesus is the message of God, the word of God, the word going forth, where all prophets have brought a word of God, Jesus is is the word of God. He's the messenger and the message. And the message. So we look to him which differentiate, for the fulfillment of the word. Which differentiates him from any other prophet. Absolutely. That's what, makes, men. that's what we've got to see. We can't get so caught up in the prophet that we still need to say, no, this is Jesus, yep. the son of God, divine being, the prophet. Ultimately, Jesus' message points back to himself. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so he is that wisdom. Even Paul said that Jesus has become wisdom for us. For us. Yes. And so Jesus embodies that wisdom. And so what John is doing is taking uh, the word logos and attaching them to all of these Old Testament scriptures and saying, this is what Jesus fulfills. But, but there's a Greek concept of logos. There's a Greek concept as well. And so there was a man, I can't remember his name, who's a Greek philosopher about 700 years before Jesus. I can't remember his name. It starts with an H. Um, what they were thinking at the time was that the world is constantly shifting. The world is constantly changing. Look around you. Nothing is static. Things are always changing. So the man asked himself, the philosopher asked himself, well, why is the world not utter craziness and chaos? He, he kind of described the world as like a river. You can't step in the same river twice. You put your foot in the river, and you know the water goes over your foot. You take your foot out and put it back in. You're in a different river because the world's always changing. But why in the world are we not just in utter chaos? He said that there is a logos or a word, a logos that is actually a organizing power that it moves from chaos to organized change. That, in other words, that's what I heard or have read or studied that that logos in the Greek culture, the Greek mm-hmm. mindset, so this is non-biblical now, this is cultural Greek yeah. culture, it was, it, the Logos brings organization out of the chaos. Absolutely. Which in my mind as a Christian and Bible scholar and preacher takes me to Genesis 1. Yep. 
Absolutely. In the beginning, You're, God created yeah. the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and, and void, void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Yep. It was primeval, primeval chaos. Yes. And then Craziness. the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. So God steps in through the Holy Spirit mm. and says, let there be, and begins to speak. The lo- Am I getting ahead of you? You're and, ju- hey, and, you're going and for And this it. was the Logos, yep. the Word. It was spoken, and Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, begins to bring order out of the chaos. And imagine what Jesus is doing now through him as the message, through his message, and even through his prophetic ministry, he is taking the chaos and the sin and the craziness of the world, and he is organizing it. It's his message, you know, repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom that brings order from our chaos. It's Jesus raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing the leper that is taking the chaos and the craziness of this world and is bringing it into order. It's through his message, it's through his life, it's through his work that he's taking the craziness of this world and he's producing life. And ultimately, his the word culminates in a death and resurrection that defeats the dark powers of this world and brings cosmologically the world from chaos into order. When Jesus comes back, he's going to set everything right. Everything will be no in order. No more tsunamis, no more earthquakes, no more uh, struggle with, with even the animals who want to attack and kill us. Everything will move from chaos to what is good and perfect be- and right. Because sin always creates chaos. Yep. And of course, Satan always creates chaos. Look what he did in the Garden of Eden. And then humans, we just have a way of with our philosophies and our ideologies and our crazy reasoning that we create chaos. We create chaos in concepts and in morality and everything. What I love about Jesus Christ and the Christian faith and the doctrines of the Bible, the New Testament, is that it it, it directly addresses every one of those issues. It does. And it addresses it in a way that says where the world has created these chaotic thoughts— Okay, because if you say, "All right, there's a big bang, and um, we are we are the result of evo- years, m- millennia of evolution from amoebas to frogs to monkeys to who we are today," then all that does is just create more questions. You're right. It, all the way back to then, what's our purpose? Are we yeah. just are we just the result of a biological? Mutation, or or, mm. or or are we created? It does. It just it creates You're the right. chaos. Creates chaos internally. The chaos of evolution and the chaos of the Big Bang theory destroys purpose. It destroys meaning. It, it destroys, may answer some questions, but it brings up a thousand, thousand more. more. And then those questions aren't just textbook questions in a classroom. They come back to me as in, why am I here? Yeah. What is the purpose of my life? Is there any meaning to my life? Am I just a a carbon based Mm, yeah. person that's going to breathe, born, breathe, live, die, and then I'm done? Or yeah. is there more to life? Christianity addresses that. The it Bible addresses that. worldview. Uh, right. Totally. The, a worldview, though, that brings yeah. structure, that gives me answers, that gives me purpose, uh, That where the world says, well, this is right, but this is wrong. No, this is wrong, but this is wrong. Well, sometimes this is right, but sometimes it can be wrong because that's what we do. We, we, we totally twist and pervert any kind of moral standard, okay, because we want to condone and justify our sins. But the Bible comes in, the Logos, and says, 
No, here's an organized structure, the Ten Commandments. This is right, this is wrong. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. Okay? And if you do them, if you break them, you're going you're gonna to suffer more chaos and hurt and harm. But if you obey these commands, you'll know life and peace and, and uh, everything. The world will, as it's designed and supposed to be. Yeah, and things will go well. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, that, that, this is pretty powerful. When you That's talk about good. Jesus speaking, being the Word, and speaking the Word— you're right. It was not just him, just another prophet speaking to a, to a specific time period, like Isaiah was speaking to those in the time. But he speaks words not just for the people of the first century, but for for all of us, for everyone, for all time. He is. You know, the, the, there's a Greek thought of telos, which is essentially the chief end, the purpose of something, and Christ coming as the Word to organize all of this chaos. Christ is pointing to Himself. I am the chief end of man. I am the purpose. I am the point. I'll, you know, I'll make everything how it's supposed to be. Where all these Greek philosophers are wondering, what's the point of life? How did all of this come about? What are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to treat one another? Jesus brings it together as basically, I am your reason. I am your purpose. We were I created. We're created in the image of God. We're created to have fellowship with God. Sin and Satan disrupted that. Yep. Jesus says, I've come to restore that, and ultimately one day it will be glorified and perfected and will go on for all eternity. And what Absolutely. was lost and paradise lost will be paradise regained some point in the future. Absolutely. That's his prophetic word. We're all on these weird, just random courses, these random back roads, these random highways, and Jesus essentially came to bring us straight back to him make things right, put us on the road back to how we're supposed to be. Straight and narrow. Awesome. Um, that's good, though. That's yeah. good stuff. Jesus is the Logos. I it never is. put those together until I really started studying to this. I didn't put that together with his prophetic ministry. Yeah, that, that was the basis that. of his prophetic ministry, obviously, Absolutely. because of who he is. It gets back to, like we said, to put it in simple terms, uh, he, he, was, he was the prophet of God, but he was also God. Absolutely. That's what made him so unique. Well, I want to ask you a, qu- a couple of questions now that I think a lot of people have questions over, especially people who aren't in spirit-filled um, circles, have a lot of questions about this. So Jesus came as the prophet, but we know as we read the New Testament that in New Testament times, there is a prophetic ministry. And so Jesus, as the prophet, has dispersed that gift to certain people in his body. And so I just want to ask what in the world that actually means. So we're the body of Christ. There's prophets today, um, but there's a number of thoughts about prophetic ministry. So today we've talked about how prophets came to bring the word of the Lord. They came to call people to repentance. They came to preach the word of God. I've heard it said that a biblical prophet today is essentially a preacher, or at least preaching is prophetic. When we are up there preaching the Word of God, giving a sermon on Sunday, is that what it means to be New Testament prophetic? No. No, I would disagree with that. Uh, And I would base it on what the Scriptures teach us. Mm -hmm. Um, There is, I understand there is a school of thought that says preaching is a form of prophecy. But if you... And even though I said preaching is forth-telling, I mean, mm-hmm. prophecy, excuse me, is forth-telling, that forth-telling came in a spontaneous moment of inspiration of God spoken 
in the moment to the people that was divinely initiated and orchestrated by the Holy Spirit within the prophet. Okay, so he spoke, holy men of old wrote as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's, and remember, their their prophecies were, became, most of them became canon. Yeah. Became part of the canon. Yeah. But there were prophets who spoke that, that didn't get in a canon. Mm-hmm. But it was a, it was a move of the Holy Spirit upon them for the moment. I, I, I think it's very similar to the gift of tongues and interpretations when it's a spontaneous event for the moment. So um, when you operate in the gift of prophecy or as a prophet in modern day times, and this time in the New Testament church, uh, the prophet, the, there's even a differentiation there. A person who is a prophet um, operates in that gift of prophecy, mm-hmm. okay? And so they they speak words. That's that's their operation. It's a fivefold ministries, but they gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So it's part of the fivefold ministry. Mm-hmm. So it's an office, just like we pastor. Some people are prophets. Yeah. Okay. And they so they live in that. They operate in that. The Holy Spirit moves upon them and they speak at t- but they don't go around prophesying all the time. Yeah. Okay. Just like I don't go around preaching all the time. But 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 for preaching, it is a preparation and a study of the word and. Yeah, I could preach off the cuff, but I'm still pulling from my memory, or I'm pulling from the word, and it's not straight from yourself. You no. couldn't, you couldn't preach if you had never read the Bible in your life. Can't right, do it exactly. So there's, it's different. Yeah, where prophecy is, I'm getting because I've operated in the prophetic. Mm-hmm. You you get a word from the Lord, and you bring it. Now, I did something unique recently. Uh, the time of this hearing would have been last month. Um, that God gave me a prophetic word for our church where the Spirit of God began to speak to me about, but I wasn't in church yet. So I wrote it down, Mm -hmm. and I preached the text for the first part of the service, and then I stopped and said, now I'm going to give you a prophetic word that God gave me, that during my studies, the Spirit of God moved upon me. It was Mm -hmm. a spiritual moment. And I wrote this down, and I'm bringing this to you. And then when I finished, and I said, you can judge it, just as it. And then when I finished, I said, now I'm going back to the text, and I'm going to go back to preaching again. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's an example just to show what happened yeah. just a few weeks ago. So, yeah, yeah, they're, they're two different things. And, um, and so I, I wouldn't say that preaching can, can contain prophecy like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and ultimately, if you're reading prophecy from the scriptures, that is prophetic, but you're not prophesying. That right. It's already been prophesied within the scriptures. Exactly. Yeah. Um, here's something that a lot of people wonder about. Um, when we begin to talk about prophecy, immediately people go to Old Testament or you know to what Jesus is doing or whatever, and they think, so you're saying that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are speaking the perfect, exact word of of God that is written down like scripture, like the Old no. Testament prophets. is So basically, when we prophesy, when we say we're prophesying in the New Testament, are we speaking the inspired, infallible word of God? And so we need the Bible plus extra biblical revelation from Prophet Joe from wherever. Because no. I see this all the time on yep. Facebook. There's always some self-proclaimed prophet who's prophesying something for the entire world or the entire nation or calling everybody to do this thing. 
when we prophesy, what do we mean? All right. Prophecy is, especially if you're going to talk about the gift of prophecy. So when you take the nine gifts of the, of the Spirit, the gift of prophecy is one of them. Um, there were a lot of prophets in the church at Corinth. So Paul had to deal with them because there were some things out of line. Mm-hmm. So if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, you can really get a, a grip on this. But but the prophets speak in usually within a church setting. The gift of tongues interpretation, they're revelatory gifts. Mm-hmm. You can break up the nine gifts into three different gifts. So you could take the faith and the miracles and the healings, they go together. And then the tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy, they go together. Mm-hmm. They're revelation gifts. All right. And so usually... They're designed for a gathering of believers, not necessarily a church service because you might mm-hmm. be in a home or something, but for a gathering of believers. And and the Bible makes it clear that prophetic words are about edification, comfort, and encouragement. Yeah. So when somebody wants to get up and be a prophet, so and give a prophetic word, and they're just nailing the church or calling out doom and gloom, that's that does not fall in line with what the gift of prophecy. It is meant to edify and build up. Can I can I stop you real quick? I'm yeah. sorry. I'm thinking of a YouTube video I saw in which a self-proclaimed prophet got up in church and pointed at somebody and accused them of like cheating on somebody or being the reason a relationship broke up and just started roasting them in the microphone. And out that this ain't prophecy. This ain't prophecy. This is somebody ranting in the microphone. As as one of my friends in college years ago said, there's something fleshy about that. <laughs> That's that's the flesh. Have you that's said that's, that's pathetic, not prophetic? Yeah, that's that's flowing in the pathetic, not in the prophetic. <laughs> but but yeah, that's that's those the gift of prophecy, and even prophets that God gives words, it's always for the church. Yeah. It, it's it's usually for the church, and it's usually to challenge the church. You might challenge the church, but it's usually a word to encourage the church. Um, if you operate in the, in the gift of prophecy, and by the way. True prophecy. So now, now we move from Jesus to the the operation of prophecy in the church today. Prophets have to be humble, and they have to know that whatever they say is open to judgment. Well, yeah, I remember you you said that when you preached that last month. You said, "Hey, I feel like this is a prophetic word from the Lord. I want you to judge it. I want you to pray about it. I encourage the elders and the leadership of our church to pray about this." So, what does that really look like? Um, you know, asking the people to to test that. What does that say about prophecy? Well, what it means is that it's not canonical scripture. It's not the scripture. It's yeah. not what you were saying, what people say. It's not. It's a word from the Lord in the moment for the church. Okay. And if that and if that person does what that guy on the video did, <laughs> all right, then the job of the church is to say, uh 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Saying it. No, yeah. you are not in the spirit. That is not a prophetic word. You say, well, how do you know it's not a prophetic word? Because the word, the prophetic word will match the heartbeat of God. It'll contain the love of God and it will match up with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anything we say, well, how does that not match up? Well, that's not what a prophet does. A prophet doesn't call somebody's personal sin out in a church and accuse them of something. Yeah. So you have to stop that because otherwise it would create chaos and the rest of the members of the church will say, what is going on here? Who's right? Who's wrong? What's happening? And that's where the leadership has to stop and say, stop. You are wrong. Sit down. Be quiet. Totally disregard what they did, and you need to see me in my office after yeah, church exactly. because we need to talk yeah. because that is not the spirit of prophecy. Yeah. Okay. So that's how you know the difference um, when it's a spirit of prophecy. Let me address something else. There are times in the Bible, 
but it's rare when there was a personal prophecy given. So Agabus was a prophet, and Paul comes in, and he takes his garment and ties Paul's hands up and says, so will the Romans do to this man when you get to Rome. Mm. Or, or maybe it was Jerusalem. Yeah. I think it was Jerusalem. Is that you're going to be held kept. He had a vision that what that if Paul went to, I guess it was Jerusalem, that he was going to be captured. Now, explain explain this. So New Testament prophecy is supposed to be exhortment and encouragement. What is it? Is this encourage? I mean, I'm not going to say it's the greatest news. Is this still a well, is this it, still a form of encouragement in the sense that it's not condemnation? It's not calling them out for sin? What? How, how do this we process was, that? This was God revealing to Agabus what would happen to Paul, and he's telling Paul. And he's saying, this yeah. is what God has showed me. Now, interestingly enough, again, if that happens, and that happens to people, you'll have people say, listen, the Lord showed me something, and I want to I tell it to you. Okay, I don't know if even though Agabus was a prophet— if if what he did wasn't necessarily the word of knowledge rather than the gift of prophecy, mm-hmm. because God showed him something he didn't know before. So even though Agabus was a prophet, he was telling Paul something personally that he did not know before and that Paul didn't know. So it may have been the gift of knowledge. Yeah. See, or where, here, here's a thought that I had. Is it possible, because obviously the Lord knows everything and knows his heart, that in telling Paul this, it wouldn't send Paul into despair, but it would actually give him. him the time to spiritually prep himself to prep and himself. say, I know I got some yep. time. I'm going to lean on the Lord, and when this happens, I'm going to be ready rather than caught off guard and launched into crazy despair. Well, here's how happens. we know, because Paul, instead of saying, oh, my goodness, then I don't need to go to Jerusalem, said, I'm going anyway yeah. because that's what God's will is for me. Yep. My His will is for me to go in. So you've helped me to know what's mm. going to happen when I get there. It was for his benefit, even if it was bad It still news. benefited him. That's good, yeah. See, so that's what that's what the gifts do. They benefit us. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've kind of you, you know answered all that. And I think even in New Testament prophecy, the reason we can say, hey, it's coming through fallible vessels for the encouragement, everything, is because ultimately Jesus is the prophet. Like that kind of prophetic ministry— writing the Bible through your prophecies, That's infallible. Completed. It is it is finished by the greatest prophet Jesus, to ever the live. The canon is finished, 66 yeah. books of the Bible, Genesis to mm-hmm. Revelation. So anything else, no. If anybody begins to claim what I have is mm-hmm. the same as the Bible— they're, they're, they need to be sat down. And that's why I brought that up, because ultimately it's through the prophetic ministry of Jesus and that being finished that directs our minds to prophetic ministry today. Right. I'll tell this story and we'll quit. Um, your brother tells the story of when he and Mary Beth were expecting. Mm-hmm. You remember him telling that story? Yeah. And this, so a so-called prophet came to their church and prophesied to Jaren and Mary Beth that they were going to have a girl. Yeah. I mean, called it out, so you have a girl. Well, they didn't. They had Bo. They had our, they had our <laughs> grandson. And uh, Jaren made sure to go back up to the pastor who had invited that guy yeah. and say, guess he was wrong, wasn't he? <laughs> You know, kind of let him know. Like, your bud got yeah, it wrong. Your bud got it wrong, and I don't have any confidence in him. And that's, people say, oh, I want to be a prophet. I want to be a prophet. Well, you better be humble. Yeah. You, first of all, you better hear from God. And then, mm-hmm. then when you speak, you better know you heard from God. And if you get it wrong, you have to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry, I, 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 I didn't get it right. And it, was, it wasn't God's fault. It was my fault. Yep. Because I I spoke 
out of myself rather than and, and from the Lord. You can't excuse it or make some kind of weird, you know, blame it on the person or whatever. No. You just got to no. perceive it. And that's why you need to be careful. And there are some people, we'll just say this to our listeners, there are people on the internet, and I'm not going to call names, but there's there's an organization in a city in North Carolina. I think that's where they're at. I just, I have seen, they're supposed to be a bunch of prophets, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I have watched them do damage to my friends. I mean, my friends have become heretics. Wow. Because of these prophetic people start having children talk to angels and they get out in left field and they ought to be praying for angels to come so they can talk to them. They get out in left field. And I have I have a couple of, of their friends of mine that their husband and wife uh that just went off the deep end. Mm. I mean off the deep end. And they're out in left field. And it's all because this. So you have to watch that kind of thing, and I'm all for it. We're Pentecostals, so we're for, we're for the fivefold ministry. We believe and and hunger for and long for and pray for and uh, the the nine gifts of the mm-hmm. Spirit. We're we're classic in that, but you have to be careful, and that's why it takes strong leadership, and that why it's why it takes we go by the Holy Scriptures. And can I say too, going back to the logos, if we just want to continue hijacking the Greek thought. God is a God of order and not chaos, and he will never use prophetic ministry or tongues interpretation or words of knowledge or whatever to send a person or to send a church, church. or a church service into chaos. And that's, that's why what, Paul instructed yep. order in the service, two or three prophets, you know, prophetic messages, and no more. There is a purpose for it, and ultimately it's to be built up in love not to get out and left. And isn't it interesting that the Logos Jesus inspired Paul to say here, there has to be, there's not going to be chaos, but there's going to be structure and organization. And that's why Paul said in that 1 Corinthians 14, um, let all things be done in decency and in order. That's good. So, yeah, it's a good way to end right there. It is. Wrap it all up. Hey, well, we hope that you enjoyed uh, the episode today on prophecy I would love to prophesy that you have an amazing week, but I don't think I have that gift. But I do hope that you have an amazing week, and I hope that it helped you today. If you would, go ahead and uh, uh, give us a like, give us a rating, share this podcast with somebody, share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook, do what you got to do. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we'll see you soon.